This conversation is about lots and lots of things, like physical theatre, memory, autobiography, making performance, making art, all sorts of things. And as part of that, it touches on a few dark things. It touches on shame, it touches on bereavement, it touches on breast cancer, and involves a kind of story and description of a, a sudden death. At one end, you've got the red-nosed camera with its silliness, its enthusiasm, its clumsiness, its bossiness, its its loveliness, its open-heartedness, its grumpiness, its, its tetchiness, its anger. But then further, way over to the other side, is the realm of the dark clown, where you've got humiliation, shame, horror, distress... Pain, guilt, deep shame, yeah. loss of dignity, existential horror, all those things. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Peter Lilly. Uh, hello. Hello, Dave. <laughs> Hi, thanks for doing this. Oh, it's my, well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for doing this, really. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, there would be no show if people didn't say yes <laughs> to, to, to doing this kind of thing. We're talking today in your in your home, so thank you very much for having me. You're um, welcome. Enjoy the tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a converted church, which is a kind of a really nice kind of space, I feel like, to, to, to have, to live in, uh, in a way. Not that I'm saying everything is nice about churches. There's a lot of complicated things that people might feel around churches, but it kind of it, it's got it's kind of got an open an open feel to it because it's got a church arch above us it's nice yeah I'm, I'm really happy about that one oh you know it was in the dark days of a, a bunch of big life changes and challenges and I was moving out of a, a flat that I shared with my then husband having to find a new place was all very stressful but th- this the open planness of it, if if you're going to be start set up a life as a singleton, mm-hmm. I was seeing yes. a lot of places that had separate kitchens, and you go, what's the use of that if you're right. going to have a dinner party? Right, walls are useful if you're living with people because you want separate spaces. It, but exactly. If you're on your own, then why have them? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to be able to cook and talk to your guests. So exactly. that was part of it, and then the the archers really were it is something about architectural features isn't it and not every flat in the building is the same you can imagine because it's using different corners right of of the church yeah which makes building. it kind of interesting interesting flats which is nice in this particularly these days when when so many flats are just uniformly the same in kind of horrible ways I think yeah, uh, even, even if there's quite rich people living in the flats they still don't <laughs> seem to have very nice environments to live in it seems to me in London anyway so the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me I know you because I went to one of the wonderful devoted and disgruntled events would I could get to more of them um, yeah, me because too. They, they really open up so much you know and connect so many people and it was uh, held in Camden's People's Theatre around a feminist theatre festival 
Hooray! I was looking through some of my clippings the other week and there's an interview of me from decades ago with the troupe that I had, Three Women Mime, this little uh, theatre company we formed fresh out of mime school. And the interviewer said something like, Peter Lilly describes herself as a feminist even though she's the only one who's married. (laughs) But um, we never dared, we wouldn't have used the feminist word and so it raises my heart that there's actually a festival that's saying it's a feminist festival so that's nice and yeah and I was very intrigued and gratified to see your question which as I remember it was something like can a man appear at a feminist festival something I think it was I was looking it up uh, on my phone because I we debated in disgruntling encourage people to record their or like document their their questions and so I recorded it because I'm a podcaster and, <laughs> and put it up on their website and I think um I think it was something like, how do we make uh, work that liberates? I think liberates men. I think that was the that was mm. the that was the focus oh, of it. But I think, it, yeah. and, and then it opened up very much into how do I come into a feminist space and sort of do I go into a feminist space? Like, what is the position for men wanting to make? feminist leaning uh, work I guess yeah. although it's a very complicated thing you know some some people don't think that men can be feminists and so there's quite a lot of uh, nuance around different positions a lot of which I have a lot of respect for um, mm. I think men can be feminists but I'm aware that that's 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 still me a man making that decision so I know that many people won't necessarily feel the same way uh, I didn't for quite a lot of years of my life, I I didn't think men could be feminists for quite a lot of years. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was one of. The, I'm, I'm going to tell a little anecdote in a moment, if that's all right, related to the conversation. But just uh, one of the things I really, really was impressed by at the the little discussion group that you were holding was your your amount of awarenesses. So you have this kind of. <laughs> you know the awarenesses of all the different niche issues and points of views and and just the the way I felt in a very gracious way you managed them all and tabled them all and kind of woke up a a number of us I would like to say well you sort of woke me I'm going yeah yeah go on one you've got to bring all this into firm consideration but the link the link if there was a show that I created and we're probably going to talk more about it later on absolutely in uh, between 2011 and 2013, so from development to the full hour-long show, it's a show called Chastity Belt, and my starting premise was to make a show about being older and not having sex, you know. And I thought, you know, you know, they say write about what you know, and you go, well, there you go, that's that, that you know, let's make that funny. And uh, as I was making the show, it was brilliant because I sort of went to places like I wrote a section in the voice of Diana or Artemis the the Greek and Roman goddess not the dead princess is a joke I keep throwing in but um and she's 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 older she has aged because Artemis is a girl who runs with the hounds you know and and so she has a, a little poem that begins it's a subtle move from from chastity to celibacy from respect to regret et cetera et cetera Anyway, I'm not doing it very well. My mouth's all a bit very early in the (laughs) morning-ish. I just found, wow, that this is great. This wonderful approach to chastity as being autonomous and actually all the liberations that you get rather than the things that you you miss out on. So even though the show includes those things that one misses out on, making the show was like 
uh, a really strengthening experience. Anyway, one day I was up in the South Bank members room and uh, a guy was there on the computers the way they all do, you know, and he asked me if he could borrow my charger my phone charger and then he was like constantly having calls from several different girlfriends and <laughs> right wow and we started talking and he asked me i think i think only to be polite because he borrowed my charger and was asking me what i was working on and what i did and i was I explained to him chastity belt and he said oh he said i think we men should have a show like that and i thought oh then now this is really interesting because you can't look at the problem and again this is where you go when you speak about bell hooks you know patriarchy causes a problem for everyone and you you, you know you can't solve the problem not that <laughs> not that i think i'm solving the problem right. but I'm, if i was making a show i needed it to be palatable on both sides and in the research on making the show certain things came up and you just go this this is perennial what's what's going on here what it what is it that men aren't getting or what do they really need or how you know if we are going to make more of a rapprochement between and and at the moment I'm just talking about that you know (laughs) the straight cisgendered world (laughs) you know if we're going to you know how how do we sort of make a make a kind of rapprochement there and and uh, I started to plan in my head after chatting with this guy um a show that the, the first title that popped into my head was Hey Man. <laughs> um, and I haven't actually made that show. Uh, and I was going, I thought, well, I might interview guys. But um, lo and behold, I discovered that, you know, you'd already done a lot of that work, which is brilliant. <laughs> well, I mean, that work that I did for the, the, the show I did about masculinity, the uh, questionnaires that I did with with men online uh, is available for anyone to use if they want. So if you do come to that subject in the future, you're very welcome to use all of those kind of all of that as a resource. Like I want it to be available to more people than just me because yeah. a lot of people have interesting perspectives that they could bring to that material uh, and different skills as well. Like I'm not a stats I'm not a stats person. Mm, like mm. that's in fact the. The questionnaire was designed almost to be kind of an anti-questionnaire, to be yeah. kind of like to, to situate me <clears throat> as not being an authority figure, not being kind of a rational man. <laughs> um, so, like, so I want people who are rational who can do that stuff to do it, like, with it, uh, and also other artists to use it. So, you know, please feel free to use it as a resource. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting day that because it was a gender and performance was the D and D workshop, and D and D is a really powerful way, I think, of of getting getting into conversations and and thinking in different ways like i i love the the the, the system that they use mm, to create yeah, the space the open space technology open space yeah. technology that that conversation that we all had around uh, masculinity i guess in that part was only one facet of many conversations that were happening all around us at the same time and yeah. people could move between conversations and all of that sort of stuff that i really think it works well um and you 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 contributed a lot i think to that to that initial uh, conversation and oh, i think thanks. You, i don't really remember and, and what i said i think mm. you came and saw i think you came and saw my show as well i did mansplaining nice masculinity right. yeah very and exciting you, and you were really nice about that and uh, that was that was really great and then we became facebook friends i guess mm. around about then and so i've sort of i see kind of your your what you choose to share with the world and you see what i choose to share with the world although we only see what the algorithms allow us to exactly get. so we see kind of edited bits of what each other are about 
Mm. Um, but we don't know each other very well, really. I mean, no. maybe this is the second conversation we've had in the conversation kind of terms, and the first one was with a lot of other people uh, as well as us in that D&D. The second question that I ask everybody uh, is, what do you do now? Well, now... I do a, a, a multiplicity of things, <laughs> a bunch of things. One of the ongoing things I do is teaching. So I teach in drama schools and also I run open courses. And I'm also currently preparing what we're calling for, for well, the trilogy, the, a trilogy of works. I'm preparing, I'm going back into the archive uh, of my performing works and making what we think, we don't know yet, we're in development, we're going to do it step by step, uh, and when I say we, I'm, I'm working with producer Sharon Burrell on, on this, and it's three shows from my arsenal of solo shows that I've right. made over the decades, and uh, in 1996 I made a show called Topless, um, which sounds terribly racy, but was really about breast cancer and other things. <laughs> and in 2002, I made a show called Midriff, Mid Midlife, Family, Grief, Fortitude, Long Distance, Courage, Decisions, blah, Courage, Cowardice. And then the final piece, which I've already spoken about here today, uh, Chastity Belt. <laughs> so it's like an... Anatomical. Going sort of down the body as well. Yeah, yeah, like a body of work. Funnily enough, with chastity belt, it kind of gets, um, in a way, uh, higher and, and wider. Uh, Sharon's been... It's lovely working with Sharon. She's kind of reflecting back to me about the work, and we had a read-through the other day. Slightly marathon effort, because these are all one-hour shows. Right, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the, you know, the topless was, was very much... Blah, you know, just very personal, um, almost like stand-up, you know, storytelling meets stand-up. Yeah. Talky, talky, talky. Midriff, uh, I, was, I developed that with a, a, a director, a wonderful woman called Jen Hayes, and it was, you know, she said, let's have a table because it's all about family and there was death in it, so there was sort of like laying out on the table. There was the, you know, the feast that should be in community, but I'm telling a story about you know, communities not happening or relationships right. being impaired, you know, so it was the, the empty banquet table. Right, an empty table, yeah. And I sort of stood on the table and, you know, sat at the table and a bunch of different things. And then chastity belts are kind of festival of tutus and lemons that I cut right. up and props that are made of lemons. Yeah, know. all of the images I've seen of it are very visual and very kind of like, yeah, performative in a good way. Like I've, I've, I've enjoyed the, the publicity sort of posters and stuff that I've seen of, of those those ones yeah. on, 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 uh, on Facebook. We'll get into that trilogy soon. You're from Australia, right, first of all? Indeed, I'm, I'm like, yes. I'm thinking. I guess you've been not in Australia for a while, so your accent made not immediately place you as 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 it would have been maybe when you were when you just left Australia mm. and and you didn't did you didn't start off uh, as doing show, uh, solo shows about the body right like when, no. in, in, in your, you know that's not no very few people will go when I when I grow up that's what <laughs> I, I, want, to I want to make that yeah, yeah yeah so like how did you come to how did you come to performance I guess how did mm. you come to that oh it's a lovely question because uh, you know I'd done a drama degree in Australia. I was performing in a wonderful little theatre in my hometown of Brisbane, Labwatt Repertory Theatre, whose productions were 
really good quality, had had tremendous amount of life in them. So I had the great fortune to be associated with that company. And, 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 uh, and then coming to London, which sort of was provoked by a sort of incidental, almost like an accident. A series of accidents actually led me to a very interesting place. And I was in London and the plan was that me and my then Australian boyfriend, we were going to spend a year in the UK and just see, just see what happened for us. We would attend workshops, we'd maybe try and get some work. So he got some work quite quickly. He'd already been working in theatre and education. So he was in a little touring company and I was still kind of shifting around doing fringe shows and things like that. And then bizarrely met a woman from my ho- from the theatre in Brisbane. I didn't know her very well. And, and we was on Kings Road and in Chelsea and she said to me, you're interested in mime, aren't you? And I, I, I just went, what? I, I don't know, am I? How does she, why is she even thinking this? But <laughs> for some reason I decided to do what she said and I went and first of all it was evening classes before he had his school, Desmond Jones Mime. And I think he's just sadly disbanded the school because there's aspects of mime when people are sort of presenting it in a way that's derivative of Marcel Marceau that, that is less than comfortable to me (laughs) less than comfortable to me but at its core it's such a strong technique of expression in the body and articulation in the body and uh, it's invaluable and it's very sad that his school isn't there because it's such a support for people you know particularly nowadays when I started doing solo shows very few people were doing them but but now you know if you're making shows on limited resources it, it just really helps to be able to you know, do you really need a prop or can you just mime that moment? Right. And, 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 and what's the style in which you're going to choose to mime that moment? What's the way in which you're going to change characters? At the mime school, eventually, I met two other women and one of them said, I want to do more. And so we started to. And I said, well, I don't really want to keep meeting in each other's living rooms, you know, doing a bit of mime. You know, let's make a show. And so... We did. We toured. So this was the perfect, you know, because you brought up being Australian. This was the perfect solution for me. I'd gone and auditioned for Glasgow Sits. And even though I'd learned RP and they said, what's what's the accent? And the perceived thing, you know, particularly back then, they didn't quite know what to do with me, I felt. And even even now, I'm not Australian in the kind of way they would like me to be. Right. I, 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 I think, see what you mean. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you kind of have to be that kind of enthusiastic theme you know which I, I that wasn't ever the way that right. you I, don't I spoke the stereotype. yeah exactly <laughs> so you know and the funny thing when I do try to find my Australian accent I, I usually start impersonating my father you know so that's kind of weird you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah three years with this company which is called three women and we toured around we had the great fortune to go to Edinburgh several times and be in the London Mime Festival several times and we toured around the UK when there was a healthy small-scale theatre circuit right uh, it, we were very very fortunate and we would all we could also tour to Europe because the, although we used language in the show you know it wasn't key to people's understandings right. and most right. Europeans are very intelligent and learned English anyway yeah so uh, <laughs> so that kind of kicked me off and then in after about three years I I wanted to create we were doing 
kind of sketch format shows or, you know, shows comprised of multiple pieces in different flavours, not always comic. And I, I wanted to do something with, you know, more narrative that had more sustained acting in it, more sort of different kind of range of, yeah, emotions or subject matter. Or, you know, So I, I went free. I, <laughs> I left the, the troupe. Uh, always sad and difficult, those moments. But, yeah, so since 1983, I've been making my own pieces before coming here today, like I kind of did a you know, quick Google of you, and you know you have a Wikipedia entry, which is always handy. Isn't that nice? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's handy, handy for me. Like when, like because Wikipedia sort of sums everything up very narratively, and uh, people's websites don't do that as often. True. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it's always nice when when not not that many of my guests have Wikipedia entries, uh, uh, but it's but it's always great when they do. And my understanding from that is that you know you were you were quite influential in some ways, like within physical performance, I guess. And I mean, it's a weird thing to talk about if you're influential when you're the person yeah. that's talked about. <laughs> yeah, but in in those days, in <laughs> days of yore, um, you know, the, the, there was... Uh, when Goliath first came, right. 1984, if I've got the year right, um, 1984, 1985, I don't know. In the class, I've got a photograph, and there's... Phelan McDermott, there's John Lee, there's John Wright, there's Annie Griffin, there's Rick Kemp, who's just written a wonderful book on neuroscience and acting. He lives in America now. Um, Nigel Jameson, who went to Australia and, 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 and made theatre. So anyway, there was this kind of area, and, and Complicite right. were around. And, and it was people at that time... It was this kind of surging up of... We didn't even know what to call ourselves. There right. was... Um, at the Arts Council, that we formed a group called the, the Mime Action Group because mime was sort of niched under dance in those days. It was right, dance right. and mime, and, and we put ourselves, it sounds funny now, but the Mime Action Group, and that's and from that Total Theatre magazine, right. which now only exists online, but Total Theatre magazine grew, and, and the whole concept of what is physical theatre because it could comprise, there were people... Uh, using circus skills, there were people using musical skills, there was trickster theatre, they drum and all sorts of things. There were people bringing dance, what kind of dance. Right. There was people bringing more traditional mime in Three Women Mime. Tessa Schneiderman had been a fine artist and so she made these inventive props. We were bringing props. Of course, nowadays, if you go to the London International Mime Festival, there's all sorts of high and low production values right. um but at, at the time it was forging this thing that eventually became known as physical theater right i mean it's interesting like so i mean this you might not know this about me it's not that obvious to me to, to when like when people know me but uh i did a year of dance at university oh. i studied i studied theater and creative writing at university in lancaster and uh in the second year i wanted to do playwriting or uh, directing but they didn't have anybody else who wanted to do them uh. so i was in this situation of like i came here to do these specific courses uh, I can't do them, what do I do? So I thought, I'll do the thing I'm the least comfortable with. <laughs> I'll do the thing that I think I can't, like, you know, there's never going to be a time when I'm going to have an opportunity to, for free, learn how to dance. Wow. Uh, so I did a year of dance, and that was intense. 
uh, and I don't think I'm necessarily a better I don't think I'm a great dancer at the end of it but I understand my body better yeah. uh, even though I'm someone who has a very ambivalent relationship with my body and I don't really like to be in, I don't like to think of myself as an embodied person I like to be in my brain all the time <laughs> um, for lots of reasons some of which are good and some of which are not good you know like mm. a lot of shame around bodies and stuff like this Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but, but you know I've, I've used it as an instrument I guess I've used it as a thing you know and 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 learn about some of the sort of stuff that you I think teach on I guess like about where energy comes from in your body and kind of like I studied the release technique I don't know if ah. you're familiar with that one but that, that's that's all very much about kind of releasing energy from parts of your body into mm. other parts of your body and sort of seeing lines between parts of your body you know your head your heart your mm. genitals all of that stuff but I mean I'm still a very you know, very messy person with my body. But it's really interesting talking to you, uh, who have been doing physical theatre for lots and lots of time. You know, you're very, you know, I feel like my listeners are, are missing out on, oh. on, a, on a big part of your conversational <laughs> style because you're kind of, you're so physical in the way that you, you, you know, when you're talking about memories, you're sort of describing them with your hands and your fingers really and like I can you know you you made the table in front of you I guess this is you were miming uh, mm. sort of low-key miming while you were thinking mm. <laughs> perhaps I don't know so I'm but I'm, but I'm very interested in physical theatre and uh, you know have studied it a little bit and uh, so it's it's interesting to hear you know you talking and like I'm, I'm get, I know some of the references and not all of them like like is always the case with these things Golier the, the, cl- the clown right the cl- mm, he's clown a t- master yeah right I know a few people who've, who've studied with Goyer, like more more recently perhaps than when you were when when you were talking about. Um, but I know a lot of people who've, who've studied with Goyer, and it sounds like it's kind of I don't know, like a, a life changing experience. Yes, he's um, he is he is part of a, there's a kind of a, a tradition. Um, I feel ashamed. I don't know the relationship between Goyer and Lecoq. I know Goyer right. used to teach at Lecoq School, and I had the great privilege and honour of having Lecoq come and, and, and lead a workshop here right, in England wow. and and then I've done various workshops with Gollier and they're both this thing of in, interrupt and insult the, the right. performer was a way of releasing the clown. I've seen people writing papers where they talk about the via negativa but I'm, 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 I'm not as academic as I'd like to be um, <laughs> so yes it's a thing it's a sort of um, the clown needs a social mask to be removed in the clown's eyes we, we want to see all those human moments, decisions micro expressions uh, doubts, you know the way that the emotions actually do move through us which is quite swiftly but we, we tend right. with our heads to build a narrative, I have issues with right, my right, father right. and my mother right. and I must sustain <laughs> my thought about those issues and make them very concrete and in the effort to solve them and, right, you know, and constantly reinforce them <clears throat> reinforcing that them narrative all so that's all you can see yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with that process yeah, one might call my solo show that in some ways <laughs> uh, uh, oh, it's so yeah, beautiful. This thing of making new narratives. Well, we can talk about that later when we go back to the shows. But um, yeah, Golier, it's a constant calling to people to be in the moment. Right, got to be in the moment and having and and in you do that in clown state, which is a, a way of being that is not you at the bus stop. It's not you in a, in a business interview. Right. Um, so th- th- this sort of picking away at people and insulting them, non plussing them. You know, it's great for the clown to be 
shocked, uh, provoked, horrified, (laughs) and then to bounce back with its own creativity and its own emotions. Right. And your your style of clowning that you're kind of known for, I mean, is is the dark clown, right? What is the dark clown? Ah, okay, right. I teach both clown, red-nosed clown, traditional red-nosed clown, and dark clown and I teach them together in a course called clown and dark clown and there's there's a reason for that because not every person comes from the same clown teacher so it's good to get some you know a common experience in place before we launch forward and uh also I like to begin I usually teach it in a two-day course so I'm kind of having to teach quite hard and fast Um, and I'm sometimes teaching beginners as well as advanced people so hence starting with the basics putting in the inverted commas rules of comedy and the the craft of comedy things I've discovered um, because we need those when we go to the dark side so the the dark clown is it's a flavor and it came from when I saw a show back in the 80s, uh, 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 the Pip Simmons group, which I don't think exists anymore. And they made this very brilliant, disturbing, um, iconic show uh, called Andy Musique. And it was set in um, a prison camp during the Holocaust. Right. Um, where... The uh, and there were m- music uh, musicians and actors, actor musicians presumably, and dressed in the pajamas, you know, the strappy pajamas, and they were showing in that piece how uh, something that actually happened, which was where you know the artists were, when when people are being locked away, it yeah. come a come a strong regime. Cough, cough. Yes, I mean, um, <laughs> the fact that the artists are, 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 and the intellectuals are locked up first is something that I feel a lot of commentators are not paying attention to at this moment in time. Exactly. I, don't, I certainly don't feel very safe in this moment. I know, uh, yes. I know. But anyway. So, yeah, so the, the artists were forced to play for their captors. Um, and I, 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 apparently, even in some instances, they, they were made... To, to perform comedy, for, can you imagine, for their captors. And so it was a great piece for many reasons. Uh, but one scene in that show in particular had a, a very strong effect on me. The the actor was tall, gangly, head shaved, and he came forward and danced desperately, grotesquely, elbows and knees akimbo and eyeballing all of us in the audience in this particular way and uh, singing and dancing and at the same time hitting himself on his bare head with a metal tea tray. Wow, and sounds very powerful. It was powerful. It was this, at the same time hilarious and horrific. <laughs> and and whereas with the red-nosed clown, you know, you point your life, you've got a, a wonderful, skillful company called Okidok uh, that I saw in London Mind Festival. And the guy was sitting up on something, I think it was a flight case or as, as high as a flight case. Anyway, he crossed his legs and fell off, you know, crossed right. his legs and just fell off and disappeared. Right. And I knew, I knew it was skillful. You know, I knew he'd fallen soundlessly so that we didn't fear for the performer. I knew his agility in, in, in executing the movement, but, you know, it was almost like my arm couldn't help pointing at the stage and going, you idiot, you know, it's so stupid, you can't even cross your legs properly. And So that's how we feel about the redness clown. The redness clown just does all this stuff and, and the audience feels scot-free. They feel quite happy to watch right. the clown be... You're not implicated. Yes. Right. And the dark clown, when we... Oh, when we laugh at something like that, 
we feel implicated. You know, even if you're not assessing it in the moment, yeah. but um, over the years, I've, I've, I've been working on this now for about 30 years, and it's the, the kind of symptoms of the laughter, the hot cheeks of shame, the putting the hand in front of the mouth, sometimes tears come forth um, out of either the performer or the watcher. It's a very primal thing, uh, watching the suffering of others. So yeah. so it's based on uh, my research into it, which was all practical research, was uh, trying to find out this quality of laughter, trying to find out what compelled me so much about that scene, the quality of laughter, maintaining that, that relationship with the audience. And uh, and then as I've been, you know, teaching it and dis- and writing about it and discussing it, I've I talk about a continuum of behaviour. So the red nosed clown is a mirror for humanity. Many writers have said that. I don't know who said it first. Right. And if you if you you know I, I, when I do this, I'm for the viewers at home, I, <laughs> listeners at home, I'm drawing a line above my head, yeah. and it's like a continuum. And if you start over at one end, you've got the red-nosed clown with its silliness, its enthusiasm, its clumsiness, its bossiness, its its loveliness, its open-heartedness, its grumpiness, its its tetchiness, its anger. But then further, way over to the other side, is the realm of the dark clown, where you've got humiliation, shame, horror, distress, pain, guilt, deep shame, yeah. loss of dignity, existential horror, all those things yeah. over there. So, you know, if you're showing humanity then there's a validity to showing this but it really has to be very carefully managed I could talk for hours about it I always need to articulate it very clearly one of the things I say every time I'm teaching it that it's not my intention to make fun of people who are suffering or people who have suffered but it is my intention to give the the audience that experience of laughing at something and then either questioning or feeling troubled about their laughter Right. I mean, I think like one of the things I've read of, about the dark clown idea is the kind of the 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 the, the red nosed clown kind of it, it, they they experience the ridiculous kind of situation from a kind of point of they're in the moment almost. Whereas the dark clown, it, they 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 know it all already. Yes, the, and like, they have a history. Yeah, they remember exactly. <laughs> it's like when 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 they fall over, they're remembering all the times that everyone has fallen over in all sort of all ramifications of what falling over can mean like the brutality of that you know yes. and all of that sort of stuff which really like it really interests me that idea I mean I guess I, I, I guess I, I can relate I feel like I can relate to the dark clown more than I can to the red nosed clown to be yeah. honest which I don't think is very hopefully it's not that common but maybe it's more common than I'd like to think yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well, I was thinking about your stand up tragedy right. that, that you do yeah well, well I'm very gratified with the work that I mean I didn't come with any mission it's you know like a real artist does it's a compulsion it's this thing you know what is this this thing I was compelled to follow it and then along the way yeah. I've discovered the the kind of benefits to the performer I mean that is what a real artist does too <laughs> yeah, like, yeah there's, like, there are many ways of making art and that's blindly an, we go absolutely a real one <laughs> blindly um, we go pushed from behind by this weird and sick yeah. compulsion that's it I mean I think that's even artists who like to intellectualise and say that they know what they're doing are often still just picking at a scab that they don't fully understand <laughs> like the rest of us 
Um, mm. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's so that's really interesting. And and so, and you also you teach you don't just teach dark planning though. You also teach like the ways that the kind of body works anatomically, I guess, in terms of performance. Is that right? Is that yes? Yeah, yeah. You were sort of mentioning that a little bit when you were talking about your dance yeah, and what that right. you know your all your you know time studying dance and what that brought you. It's kind of came together from a variety of sources from someone giving me a little mini workshop in I think the Roy Hart method where they they travel down through the different resonators in the torso and through the early mime work invented by De Croo where he divides up the the torso in this rather geometric way I mean it has other applications but you separate the head from the neck in the neck from the torso the the bust you know the, right. the slight, sort of bra line place and then the waist and everything and then I also did a, a beautiful period of study with a, a company people don't know much about they're called Teatro de Mouvement and I love this work because they took the this is all very technical now, but they all t- they took the De Cru- Etienne de Cruz work, which I found very geometric. But it, you know, it, di- it didn't have to be. But they took the de Cruzian work and they added to it sort of animal studies, and they added to it African dance and dance. Uh, she was a dancer, the, um, Claire Hagen and Eve Mark. I think had a background in sports or something like that. So they they brought this these more dynamic bits to right. it. But it was also focused on this highly articulated isolations in the torso. So you know, like like there's a lump of meat between your neck and your thighs. Or if you think about the chakra system, you've got right down there behind your pubic bone the base chakra. Right. And I talk about this when I talk about dark clown. The base chakra is life or death, survival. Uh, so what does that feel like? And then above that, anatomically, what have you got? You've got the deep in, in, intestines. That's, you know, deep shit. You know, you've got, right. you've got some deep shit. So that's probably Richard III, you know, now is the winter of our discontent brought, you know, yeah, unresolved issues, you know. Yeah. And then going into, you know, the, the, the other bits of... Uh, the bowel this is you know when I did midriff you see I was working on all the different things that this can be you know in it, it can be enthusiasm it can be gusto it can be that intestinal fortitude that my father used to talk about guts intestinal yeah, right, fortitude right, right. the long distance courage you know that Martha Graham classic Martha Graham thing where the the spine bows back uh, so right. so beautifully the grief I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I was so fortunate um, that in Australia, my mother, you know, allowed me to have all all the things that she was not permitted to have, you know. So I was sent to art class, piano lessons, which I stopped like an idiot, you know. We we just don't understand. We don't realise, you know, the preciousness of these opportunities. And she would take me to theatre. She would take me to dance. And I remember watching um a, a dance performance and the the dancer she she suddenly did a deep contraction you know I'm eight or something like that eight years old and she, she did this deep contraction and I thought oh something just happened I, I it felt terribly emotional to me and then in the next moment she just swung around and, and next thing you know she was working with the highest the higher center that like contemporary dance right, right, right. is really mainly yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, around yeah. the heart, isn't it? The sternum. And there was a level of disappointment there. 
because I thought it was going to mean something. And then I thought, oh, it's just movement. It's just abstract. And then to link, oh, it's all linking together very nicely, isn't it, Dave? Um, <laughs> when, when I went to mind school, the thing that sealed the deal for me was that, that uh, we were being taught to separate the head and the chest. I think we were doing head and neck and then chest. Right. And so we were sh- shown how if if you... What was it? Yeah. If you... Most people, we look with our head first, right? And our chest follows. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, for most, most people, the, the, it's not the chest, but, you know, it's kind of like the rest of the body. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Probably, you know, right, all the right. feet turn around. Yeah, yeah. But with the Decrisian mind style, you know, the head, and then you kind of just bring that top part of um, what they call the bust, as in a, a bust that you might see in a, a museum, you know, right. that goes through that kind of mid-chest area. So you go head, chest... Or you can go chest head, where the head gets left behind right, a little bit with right, a bit right. of inertia, you know, like a whiplash. And it has, going chest head, has a much more emotional feeling and look. And I remembered being back um, in a production uh, in Australia, uh, Tales from Vienna Woods, and the guy I was in the scene with would say something. And I would turn to look at him and I just, you know, some nights you'd come off and go, oh, you know, I didn't get that look right. And I didn't know what it was. But in this moment, I thought that was it, that something in what he said affected me emotionally before it affected me intellectually. Or because it's coming from the core of the body, it's it's more organic or more animalistic or, or, you know. Yeah. Or heart-led or or whatever. Right. So that was part of this, you know, so this thing of going through the body to the different areas, the solar plexus, what's that about? You put your hands in that region, extend them, and it's a little bit, it's, it's quite sincere. Right. You feel like Jesus suffered it's, the little children very powerful to position you. as well, isn't it? It's kind of like, you're, you're omniscient, you're sort of like looking from above almost, I think, when you do that. Yeah, yeah. oh, that's nice, you have a different perspective, and... And if you push it out, if you push out the solar plexus, you get a bit overweening. Right, right, you know, right. Have you read my latest poem? Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. like that. And, and then if the, if the solar plexus goes back, it's a bit like you're out of integrity, you know, right. and you embezzled some funds or something. And, and, and you're going, hi, how are you? But if you've got that little contraction, if you've developed the skills to just have even a hint of that little contraction, it gives a completely different, different look. Even if people are, are doing it at a tiny level, and it will inflect the, 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 the timbre of your voice as right. well, you know, well, you know, with a bit of practice, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, and a lot of that kind of is sort of, I mean, it's a long time ago, but it's still like, that. it's familiar to me from stu- studying uh, dance, those kind of ideas. And it's, it's interesting as well, I, you know, watching you talk about it as well, it, it, it's, it, it's making me think of how, you know, we, we all think of memory as just being what we mm. what we think, mm. but actually, it's 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 there's body memory, yeah. and I could see you know you're you, when you're talking about those different realizations and seeing those different things, it's almost a physical memory that you're going into when you're remembering like I was doing my head this the head this way, and that made me, and in fact, you couldn't think of the memory at one point until you did the movement, <laughs> in, you know, in yes. the same way, which was really interesting. It's interesting to think because we, we 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 like to think of our yeah we like to think of everything being about our brains mm. and it's kind of like what you said earlier on about how you know we have a, an emotion and then it's, it's fleeting but we make a narrative around it it's yeah. the same with our you know the same thing happens with our body memory you know we have a body memory and then we come up with a reason why that is yes. yeah it's interesting yeah, exactly and and 
I mean, and so yeah, I mean, I, I guess let's let's talk about the shows then. Really, I mm. mean, so you're 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 in the process of redeveloping these three solo shows that had different kind of connotation like they were about different parts of the body but they were also about different times in your life right yeah as well yeah um and you're now doing it after you've had all of those three times and you're recontextualizing i guess or rethinking about those times and those shows i mean so what's that process been like oh my heavens yeah quite something um because they stretch back over so so not quite 20 years from 1999 yet is it but the topless well almost yeah the the narrative of topless begins on the 1st of January 1996 right it's sort of definitely 20 years from from there so it's 20 years of a a life it's a body of work (laughs) we've been looking at the taglines for how we're going to present the work and it's just just a cut. I don't know. I'm. I feel I get little prods from the universe. Right. And if that sounds very grand, another way of putting it is, I'm very suggestible. You know. <laughs> so this woman meets me. She says, "You're interested in mine, aren't you? Am I? Go. You should do Desmond Jones. Oh, all right. You know. But of course, I don't do everything everyone says. But you know, often I, things get suggested. And I go, okay. I'll, you know, I'll I'll do that. Right. And and it's really interesting when these things <laughs> turn out with in retrospect to be in. Incredibly, you know that that was the moment the thing right. branched off. So, friends and colleagues, you know, are young women who are artists and makers of work themselves, and and they've come and watched rehearsals of Chastity Belt, and and they have said to me, "Oh, we'd love to see the others. It's we're curious right. to to see the other pieces." And because of that, I think, oh, well, maybe maybe it's a good idea to show them. Maybe that's interesting. One, two, three, an anatomical trilogy. Yeah. Um, so, so that was kind of what pushed me into action. I've always been like this. When, when I was, you know, having radiation for the breast cancer, people saying, "Oh, you can make a show about this," uh, and so I did. You know, so right. that was the birth of Topless, and and it all proceeded. So I think, you know, I should be a much more deep person. But um... well, I, I, I don't think that. <laughs> I mean, I think that's this is a, a lot of artists. And I, I, I would count myself as, as one of these kind of artists to kind of like, I like that. Like, you just have to be just open to what happens and then you kind of incorporate everything. And, you know, if I go away to, you know, somewhere to write, I'll always end up incorporating that location into the writing. Whatever I, whatever my intention is, it'll always seep in in some way. It's just the way we... It's like we're sponges, aren't we, for, the, for, for information. Exactly. It's not just artists who are like this. Human beings are like, Human us, beings are sponge, are like this. Sponges. Um, and, and, and at the deep level, oh, I hope you, don't, you lose no. your thought, that I love the work of Arnold Mindell when he talks about the flirts. You know, he, he's very into quantum physics, you know, mixed with... You know, humanity right. and therapeutic things, and and so he calls them the flirt. So this thing comes out of the blue, right? And it attracts your attention, and you're going to do it. Yes, and it might seem very ephemeral, but right. it's actually very, very right. Right. No, that's. I mean, I didn't really have anything to say, that, but that that articulates my feelings often for a lot of the projects I find myself doing. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I don't. You know, I didn't. I didn't sort of think I'm going to make a masculinity show. It just happened to me. Yeah. I uh, think that's the way these things tend to go, and then it becomes the thing that you can't. You, you can't. You can't stop thinking about that thread. You know, you, you keep yeah. keep pulling it, and 
and then you you know then it is what it is and it becomes this thing and you think oh you know it's almost like I planned it this way <laughs> but I didn't um, exactly so you're doing sort of like 20 years of work but now so it's going to be the the body and the the you that you have now yeah acting <laughs> acting 20 years ago's uh or performing 10, 20 years ago's show and then the other one came in the middle right so I, that was what 10 years ago or something like that or? Yeah, 2002 it was, yeah, midriff. Indeed, yeah, so very, very interesting going back over. There were things that I'd written when we had our table read through the other day. There were details that I'd forgotten. So there's a good reason to make a show about your life, people, because there <laughs> right. were, you know, details that I'd forgotten. Um, and also... That's interesting as well, because it's, they're not just details you've forgotten, they're details that you've forgotten that you've performed a number of times, so you'd think... And I'm, I'm sure I would be, be the same when I come back to, yeah. the, you know, my solo show in 20 years' time, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember, like... yeah. Yeah. And not just performed, I lived them because right, these right, are right, autobiographical. Right. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I well, that's what I mean. Performed them, still forgot them. Yeah, yeah. We're all familiar with forgetting, you know, what's actually happened in our lives. But when we've worked out what happened in our lives and then performed it over a number of times and we still can manage still to forget, forget it. it. It's amazing. Our capacity to forget is, yeah. is, is quite, you know, there's something kind of beautiful and impressive about the human capacity to forget things as well as oh, kind yeah. of sad and frustrating. Ain't it just, yeah. <laughs> Ain't it just... And also, you know, so it's my experience of, of, of going back uh, and being older. And so so dramaturgically, what do we do? So, so for example, with, with Topless, we're, we're probably going to, we think we're going to explore um, a bit of kind of, uh, probably needs like a frame where I talk first, but also anecdotes, uh, n- not anecdotes, footnotes, where I sort of leap out right. and so I go, well, you know, that was then and this has changed in the right. world then and da 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 da. But hilariously enough, all those 20 years ago, one of the one of the horrors <laughs> that I was facing in Topless, you know, I'd just been rejected from a relationship and, 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 and the issue of ageing was there, you know. So this is anyway a perennial thing and this is where I think my collaborator Sharon Burrell said, I can see potential here. I can see that this is valuable for, for young women still. This is still mm. fresh. It's a story from back then, but it's, it's still the same concerns who are, who am i without my my youth who am i without my beauty how right. and identity funnily enough turned out to be a theme going through all three right said so topless um there was what i thought was a running joke where I keep saying, oh, I'm like, you know, I've got breast cancer. I'm going to be like Deborah Winger in terms of endearment. Or, you know, I've got, oh, I've met a new lover. How exciting. I'm going to be, you know, our life is like that film, Betty Blue. And I kept making it. And, oh, no, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm going to be like Anne Bancroft, not in the sexy graduate film that in the 84 Charing Cross Road. That's it. That's, I'm, I'm going to be Anne Bancroft in 84 Charing Cross Road. And by the end of Topless, I come around to going, that's it. Anne Bancroft is brilliant. You know, the character right, she plays right, is brilliant. Right. She's a, an activist, she's autonomous, she reads poetry, you know, right. brilliant. <laughs> so to sort of em- embrace all of that, and, and Midriff was about, ugh, you know, a lot of bereavement that I had and, and, and my relationship with my uh, father, because my mother died uh, during the chapter on Topless, and I'm left with my... Um, 
less, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the parent I related to less. Right. <laughs> uh, and having, having to do that and having to make decision, deep right. decisions. Do I go back? Do I go back to look after him? Do I jettison my entire life that I've, you know, yep. created and who I feel I am? And I lent a lot on Hamlet. I sort of used bits and pieces of text of Hamlet because right. I like the idea that it, even though it's this great big tragedy, he just dithers right. Absolutely. <laughs> all the Absolutely. way through. And there's clumsiness, you know, yeah, yeah. clumsy moments where he stabs the wrong guy yeah. and lugging the guts out of the room. I mean, I, Hamlet's, I hated Hamlet when I first read it. And then over the years, I've come to understand that the reason I hated Hamlet is because he reminded me too much of myself. Oh. So like, I, I was always like, you know, just annoyed. I was like, you know, all of these people die just because, like you say, because he did this, because he doesn't make up his mind. He can't decide what he thinks. And then like, you know, you know, the older I get, I'm like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, that is actually that's who I am um, in lots of ways. I'm not. Hopefully, I won't cause loads of people to die as a result of it. But I think it's kind of it relates to a human condition that I used to kind of like brush off and just. I didn't used to like to see the the. I didn't like to see the more universal. Like uh, universal is a complicated word, but you know, the, I didn't like to see the larger commentary on the human condition that Hamlet had. I used to like just go, no, none of that. That's just nonsense. He's just an, an annoying person who can't make up his mind. <laughs> um, but you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now I like. I've come to like Hamlet a lot more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I always liked it. When you have a strong reaction, you're, there's something that you're you're responding to. It's some yeah. kind of a, a reaction is worth it. Like it's worth even if I hate it. Even if you hate a thing, if you have a strong reaction to it, it's probably worth having seen it. I think or it, read it or whatever. It exactly, is. you have to go back and investigate further. Yeah, something haunts you. Right. Yeah, like right. Mulholland Drive the first time. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of go, and the music's still right. going on in your head. You go, oh, damn it, I'm going to have to go back. And, yeah. You know. I had that with Black Swan. I hate. I like. I had a real visceral reaction to Black Swan. I was like disgusted by it almost. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, I like my, my partner loved it, and then uh-huh. we had this like conversation of like, you know, why why do I hate? What what is it that is disgusting me about yeah. that film? What is it that? It's, I'm finding repellent about it, so it was interesting. Yes, a, a message in there for right, us. Right, right. <laughs> <clears throat> and and so so right. So the so the so midriff uh, was kind of had Hamlet kind of connotations. Had and Hamlet it, threading through right. it. Had our uh, vaudeville threading through it. Um, oh, one of the key uh, events. So there was the issue with my father and what to do about that. And and also just before uh, the making of Midriff um, was the fact that the woman, you know, I was telling about with the, 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 the first mime company, this woman, this uh, hugely talented, fine artist um, and very, you know, motivated individual who got us going as a company and, right. and, and made it all happen. Uh, and then... I'd been separated from her for 17 years. You know, it's like, I'm leaving the company. Well, you know, if you're leaving the company, then blah, 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 blah. You know, and she got in touch. You know, this postcard arrived, which had been forwarded on from three different addresses. Can you imagine? Right, yeah. And so you've got to obey that, haven't you? You know, it was sent from the drill hall to where I used to live with my husband to this flat here now and I'm I'm like oh my god I have to 
I have to get in touch, I have to ring her. And so we, we had lunch, we had coffee, and then she invited me to go and stay with her, um, you know, just have a weekend in Spain where she was living with this guy who was a millionaire who was going to marry her. So even, you know, and I was looking for the answers to life. I didn't have a pension and there she was. She seemed to have it all sorted out and, she, you know, she's never right. going to be rich and even though she was older than me, this guy was in love with her. So all these, you know, the big questions right. were, seemed to be happening with her. And then um, uh, brace yourself listeners she, she so uh, I almost didn't go I almost didn't go to Spain uh, because I was well I was working but then bizarrely the work fell through um, uh, something to do with the visa unex, totally unexpected and so I thought well damn it I will go I'll go I'll go to her you know I'll put it on the credit card and and and, and I'm so glad that I did and then some weeks after that she had her wedding and uh, on the way from the wedding to the honeymoon, they had a car crash and died. Oh. And it was, you know, it was one of those deaths where, you know, literally almost one of the last words she said to me was like, my plane was delayed and, you know, shall I, you know, should we drive somewhere else, you know, because, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm a bit nervous. I always like to be at the airport. And she said, yeah, she said, it's not like we're never going to see each other again. Uh, and it was, and I'm, I'm sorry, because every time I tell that story, it is, it's so impactful. Yeah, well, well yes. It's really, really, really shocking. And, and, and I kind of realised, having just kind of gone back into contact with her uh, and and I realised what a debt I owed her. Mm. You know, this girl from Australia mm. who wasn't quite fitting in and suddenly we're making we're making our own work, we're being autonomous. I'm earning my money doing what I love. Oops, we decide not to go back to Australia because it's going so well. You know, life life changing stuff and uh, so and this is the awful thing about making autobiographical work. You know, one is conflicted. Am I honouring her story or am I just vampirising her right. life? You know, am, yep. am, I, <laughs> am I a noble? Am I, you know, doing something generously or am I... I use a little bit of text from where Gertrude said, you know, she looks into her soul and there I see such dark and grained spots as will not leave their tinct. I think it's her. It's either her or Hamlet. Uh, been a while now. <laughs> Who, who says that, you know, that kind of self-judgment. Right. You know, and imperfection, you know, being being this flawed right. uh, human cre being. Creative collaborative relationships as well are, are very intense, I think. Mm. Like, I've, you know, when, you know, I, I, I kind of, I've had more drama, I think, with collaborators than re relationships over the years in many ways. Not drama, like, in a bad way, but just it's, it, you compare yourself to them all the time, you're jealous of them in some ways, they're jealous of you in some ways, and that's hard to deal with when you're someone who has low self-esteem and there's someone's jealousy <laughs> That's really weird. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, and, and you you share so much in those rehearsals or whatever, mm. in those rooms of of yourselves, and you share so much. But then, because you've shared so much, it can feel like a betrayal in so many other ways. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, with all of that, like it sounds like you were already in a complex kind of, you know, you haven't seen her for a long time. She's got everything that you want, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you're reconnecting, and then she goes out of. This, out of the uh, equation altogether. Yeah, I mean that's a really common. No wonder you know you, you've you, that became part of a show. I, I can't imagine that happening 
to me and not not making something about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, speaking through those feelings. Yeah. And, and the fact that she brought me to theatre in this country, I also reflect on what brought me to theatre in, in general. Right. And I, I mention that, and I talk, because I'm talk, already talking about my parents, my God, there's so many themes in Midriff. <laughs> because I'm talking about my parents, I, I talk about them taking us to vaudeville. Right. When when we were when we were little. Right. And, you know, the sketches and the music, and, and so I, there's this... You know, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few different threads in there and I'm talking about the, the horror well, the and guts, the samurais right? and the guts. You're talking about the guts of your life. <laughs> it makes sense if you're doing uh, midriff area. And, of course, I guess, like, the midriff as well is, is, a, is, a, is a, it's, it's, it's a space which is different for different bodies as well. Like yeah. it, it's it's a different thing to talk about the, the midriff if you're a, a cisgendered woman uh, than it is for a, a, a cisgendered man to talk about midriff. Mm. Like you know, all of my connotations with my own body of guts and all of that. There's no womb involved. Yes, right. <laughs> so I mean, that's the, I, I imagine that's a factor in your in 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 your kind of in the, the midriff section, I guess, uh, before moving down to the chastity belt. Although that's interesting that that's moving down and up, like, like you say, like, and out. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about making, like you said, like, it's, it's a complicated ethical thing, making autobiographical things. Yeah. I relate to that very strongly. <laughs> but I mean, like, like, why do you think you do make autobiography? <laughs> I do. I make autobiographical work because at some level I was always interested in how, how did people actually live. Um, I've thought a lot about this, but I don't know if I'm going to articulate it very clearly. Um, and, and when I was a, a young woman at university and doing women's studies and reading Anais Nin, and I was like, oh, my God, she's, you know, she's peeling the skin off the events of her life and mentioning things she's ashamed of. Right. And up until then, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of biography that you read when autobiography was... It was in September that I discovered. <laughs> and, you know, this the same yes. thing, but this thing we keep coming back to, the, the rational way of thinking about life and then and the life as it is actually lived. Yeah. And, oh God, if we want to get really deep now, I suppose it's, you know, sort of... Un- discomfort and shame that's in your life and when you when you often don't see that I think increasingly it's become m- more to the fore we do see more of the underbelly of life than, than we were seeing 20, 30, 40 years ago what to do with those feelings when you're not seeing them reflected in the outer world I've, I've just been watching the girls Lena Dunham who, yeah. wow what, that could be a whole conversation that would go on for a long time but I mean, God, you, you're watching it. And you're going, well, no, watching it. These women are dreadful. And you're going, is that... But is that not part of her point, showing these entitled women? You know, is is she critiquing them? Or, you know, it's a mixture of critique and honouring... Anyway, yeah. all of that. So nowadays, <laughs> we, we have more of it. That, but for me, it was that thing of wanting to know what people actually felt about things, a compulsion to say the terrible thing. A- another person, early M&M, <laughs> he would do these things. It's almost like a little ch- childish rant where he talks about his mum yeah. or, or that wonderful song. And then, you know, he, it's such a misogynist song, but it's one of my favourites. And he says, you don't know how sick you make me. You right. make me fucking sick to my stomach every time I think of you. I puke. 
and but you know, wonderful rhyming, very skillful wordsmith that he is, and, yeah. and and the rhythm and the choppy rhythm of it. But I just love the way he just blurts it all out. And that wonderful thing he says, an eight mile. Now tell me something that you don't know about me. I find that very exciting. And and Genet, I read Jean Genet. Right. Um, at the ridiculously young age of 17, I had um, a French boyfriend, <laughs> and he, he got me reading Jean Genet, and Genet with his aesthetic of degradation, I thought was very interesting, and in the way he said, well, I will be a thief. So, I don't know, all of that's in the background, and, I, I, you know, just this compulsion to express myself, this compulsion right. that there's this something pushing you forward, whether that's you know, ignoble or not, you, you, you just have no choice in getting it out there. And I think the first time I did it was in my show, 1984, Hiroshima Mon Amour, where I play in uh, a rattled, ailing Edith Piaf impersonator. She's Australian, you know, she, you know, ah, you know <laughs> my name is Edith Piaf. I'm not the real one, of course. Um, and, and that character and her story, and she, I talked there about the French boyfriend and his girlfriend afterwards was was very upset when I was performing it in Australia. She came up to me and sort of tears in her eyes, and I thought, "Oh no, I've hurt her." So I also talk I, I talk about that in Midriff and how, <laughs> well, the guy that um the 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 the, the lovely person who um, I had a big love affair with um, after my marriage dissolved in Topless, he would come back to see that show. Time after time, <laughs> he would bring his new girlfriends to see the show. Wow. He would bring his brother and his brother's girlfriends. So it was, it was weird, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it helped him. I don't know. It's, I don't know why he kept coming back. Isn't it? Like yeah. We, yeah. I mean, it's, as somebody who does kind of uh, autobiographical stuff, on stage, which, which again is like I, I didn't expect to be someone who did that. Like I was, a, I did, you know, I did fiction, I did drama, I did uh, yeah. things to be pretend to be other people <laughs> um, for many reasons. But I end up standing on a stage and talking about who I am. That it's so complicated. Like you're you're worried about upsetting the people involved. Mm. You also want to talk to those people, like, and you haven't been able to articulate it in your conversations with them in, in reality. So maybe you can articulate it on the stage. And, and it's very strange. Like I have occasionally been involved with performers, you know, an artist myself. So I've had the experience of being the person sat in the audience hearing somebody else's view on me. Oh. Well, you know, I've, I've had both of those. Mm. But I'm certainly very aware of it. Like I did the, the masculinity show at the UCL last year and they, we did a question and answer session afterwards and they were the, the first initial questions were about you know personal stuff rather than the art the how you know how I created it but and and it's a very I don't know it's a very strange area to be in when somebody sort of like says you should have been harsher on your mum or, mm-hmm. or you shouldn't have been as harsh or whatever way it goes mm. and you know how, how do you feel about like that I guess like at the yeah what so there's an ethical element around mm. all this but mm. what, what are your conclusions I guess around those ethics oh thanks yeah <laughs> um funnily enough it's like the dark clown work you know the compulsion came first but then as you're presenting it and sharing it you need to you know, have the ethics in yeah, place. Yeah. You need to have the clarity. And and when I did Topless uh, in 1999, I sent the script to my ex-husband <coughs> and I said, look, I just, you know, I'm doing this show. 
it was terrifying for me to, 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 to put this, you know, I didn't want to alienate him or the people who knew both of us. Right. You know, I didn't want to come across as just looking bitter. I, tr- I tried to aim most of the comedy at myself. But, you know, the things I did say about him, I sent him the script. You know, you just accord the person that, here's what I'd like to say. Just let me know if there's anything that's really... And, and I did the same for the, uh, the, the, my lovely uh, lover as well. I sent him the script. And, and I th- one of them, I, I don't know, it might have been the lover, and I said, um, look, I know you said this, but it'll be a funnier line right. if I say this. Is, is that okay with you? <laughs> and, and they generously agreed. And, and my ex-husband tremendously generous being a, a, an artist himself and he said hey, you know you've you've got to do this but he has said it to me in the past there were things that I w- was worked up about in the past and he would say you know you've got to write about this I wrote a, a play that had a, a really kind of weirdly violent scene in it a play called Blame a three-hander and it was about a married couple and it wasn't a template of our life but it was clearly like the under seeming and working out issues mm. that I had and he he would read it and he would be fine with it he he knew you know for an artist uh, it, it, it might sound cold but the, you know the art the art does come first the right. art is your first relationship if it's an, yeah I mean that's the thing if it's something if it's a truth like not the truth but a truth that becomes very hard to deny like if you're an artist I feel like that's mm. the thing it's like yeah like if it's really you know if, it might be something about yourself that you don't like but if it's something that resonates with something true for a broader amount of people than just you then you kind of like yeah, yeah, that has to happen. That's 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 to said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is complicated. Like, I, I, um, last year again, I, I had a kind of, I did a talk for Radio Four, kind of, on the back of the the masculinity show, like not the same, mm. but like a reflection and development of that. You know, because it was on Radio Four for the first time, I was like, right, there's that. I can't hide this from my mum. It may get back to her. There's uh, no way uh, I can uh. stop that. So I had to sort of ring her up and say, I know she's known that I've been... Like, cause she, she's an artist in her own way too. I mean, and she, she definitely would always be like, you have to do it regardless. But I just didn't want to hurt her. Mm, yeah. uh, which is, you know, it's a funny thing as well because people who, like... The, the question I had at UCL about that was like, they, they were like, I didn't hear any, any criticism of your mum in the whole of the show, which is weird to me because I feel like... I feel like... So somebody else could equally say I'm too critical of my mum. I feel mm, like in that show, exactly, I feel like yeah. both those those notes could be made. But but like one thing I can say about my mum is she's she's always known that she did damage. She's always known as someone who was damaged herself. Hmm. She's always known that like she's she's always said to us, you know, her kids, I would understand if you didn't want to speak to me for twenty <sighs> years or whatever those sorts of things. Uh, and so you know, I've always you know I try to be very fair to my mum in that show and actually try to kind of contextualize the why and also the, some of the strengths of my mum like it's kind of weird to see that show and I guess that's why they thought I should have been harsher because I, I do go into like here's some strengths here's some, a, a good thing my mum did in terms of sex education or whatever you know but but it's 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 such a such a complicated thing isn't it to actually talk to the person you've written the thing about and get their opinion um, well, it's it's a decent it's thing it's the right thing to do it's the right thing to do yeah yeah it's a decent thing to do and luckily I've been I didn't do it with my parents. I I, I talked right. about them in uh, in oh, was it midriff that he came? It was no, it was in topless again. And I, go, I was invited to go out to Australia, and Dad came along, 
and uh, there was something I'd say that's quite edgy, but I say it as a joke, and he seemed oblivious to that. He just said, oh, I wasn't in that one very much. You spoke more about your mother than you spoke about <laughs> So he was, like, disappointed he didn't right, feature more. Right, there's that too, isn't there? There's that too. <laughs> it's such a complicated thing. I mean, and, and you, do, you, you try to be fair to people, but, you know, you, and you try to be ethical, but also ethics are subjective. So yeah. everybody's opinion on your line call of, like, the judgment call, mm. everyone's going to have a different view on that as well. Exactly. So ultimately, apart... You, as, as as much as being as ethical as possible, there's also an element of like you have to let it go. You have yeah. to just go. I've done that, and I will I will be judged on that, and I will and I will deal with that accordingly. However that goes. You know? Yeah, and and you can't tell what how people are are seeing right. things. I had some God. That's my very first solo show, and a, a man came up, and I played my parents briefly. I played my parent and my, my mother doing the shopping list, and my dad lying down to read the paper. You know, and um, this guy came to me after the show. He said, "How dare you show your father like that?" And did, and uh, it was just something in the way he said it, and I, I realised. I think he thought I was portraying my father as drunk, which he was not. My father didn't drink. He was just like, oh, you know, and sort of would lie down in a very right. kind, of, uh, kind of demonstrative <laughs> sort of way <laughs> with a lot of grunting and groaning. Right. So, yeah, that, that was it. You know, well, people might be they seeing... They bring their own stuff. You, you're you're yeah. the person that said to you, why weren't you more vicious to your mother? Hmm. Yeah, right, right, Methinks, right. Well, <laughs> they were, yeah, I mean, they were, they were, well, they were a complicated person. Anyway, they were a woman who identifies as a men's rights activist so that's a very strange position for a woman to be in i think yeah yeah um but yes uh yes all viewpoints are possible aren't they yes uh they are (laughs) so lovely (laughs) which is great and terrifying great and terrifying in equal measure i mean it's it's been a real pleasure uh getting better acquainted with you today i mean i feel like i've I've learned a lot more about you but also it's been I've, i've i've wanted to sort of talk to you face to face uh, for a long time really because your your work is kind of in similar areas to mine mm. and I feel like you know it's always great to, to, to talk to other people who make stuff and learn how they make it why they make it it's such a, a valuable thing for an artist so I'm always glad that I could kind of use this show as an excuse to mind people for their, their wisdom I guess yeah um, but the, the last question that I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug which I guess <laughs> we've, we've kind of been doing oh, quite, for yeah. quite a lot of the conversation but yeah oh thank Thank you. You are <laughs> wonderfully generous. If people like the idea of the workshops that I lead, all they have to do is to go on my website, which is p-e-t-a-l-i-l-y dot com, and then you can join the mailing list and hear about workshops. But similarly, stay tuned or go on Facebook. I have a Peter Lilly Shows page you can sort of log on and like my shows page uh which is where i'll be as we roll out i think the first step is we're going to do a kind of slightly rehearsed reading presentation of topless and and hopefully do it in a venue that has lots of other events including body issues and and sort of tapping into that and and there might be i don't know a discussion afterwards around that me and my collaborators sharon barrel are seeing it as a kind of journey how does that go down are people finding it relevant and and sort of so performing it in bits and bobs and we're we're still working on this but the ultimate 
aim <laughs> is to do it like a kind of durational performance because I think that's a something you know that no one wants to come back to the same theatre three times you know right. you know, three successive nights right. uh, but it's easier there to might... find a day that you can yeah. that you can commit to something than three days in a row I hopefully yeah there might be right. some mad folk who think <laughs> they might like to come along and you know we might trim the shows a bit so it might be 45 45 60 minutes something like that and there'll be little intervals and you know we're still working on will we have a a come in or out policy but you know that that what will that be like you know to actually sit and and what will it be like for me i've had friends saying but can you do it and i go right. well yeah I do three feel shows a bit, in a day yeah i do or, feel a bit tired after i do a yeah. show <laughs> and yeah they're, they're all autobiographical so there's all sorts of complexities that I come know. with that i know i know yeah. I might. You know. I reckon you. Could, I, re- I reckon you're up to it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting yeah. you're not up to it, but it's definitely a. It's a. It's a thing. It's a. A, a, a very. A big commitment for you to to do three it shows. It is a in thing, a isn't it? It is a thing. I mean, there's been wonderful outcomes to those three particular shows, and and also one show which was called Invocation, which was about life, work, career choice, and 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 you know a career choice that had gone wrong uh, and, and a career choice where I'd realised I'd sold out on all my values without recognising you know like a frog in water yes. and you kind of yeah, go oh my yeah. god and you're sort of leading these um, business workshops where you're going who are your hero? you know heroes we meant to talk about heroes and you go well Mandela you know um, Gandhi the Buddha these are, these are my heroes and you go well yeah, I really like these guys, but my heroes are Edith Piaf and, <laughs> and Jean Genet, you know, these these kind of loser wastrels. I mean right, they weren't they were right. geniuses too, but they're not they're not honourable and neat and tidy. Yeah. Uh, the the way, you know, the kind of corporate world might like right. these heroes to be. Well, well even those heroes, you know, Mandela is not neat and tidy, but the way that the corporate world will see him is like the vision of Mandela now is is definitely a very different <laughs> Yes, um, glossed over right, exactly. and neat and up yeah, yeah yeah but the corporate world is, is definitely like a it's 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 a, it's a danger for for all of us artists to like navigate that like we, mm. we need money we need to we need to kind of we want audiences we want to get our ideas out to people um but it, as well there's a we don't want to we don't want our ideas to be co-opted and to become something that that we're not you know, so mm. that's really interesting. That's a really. Oh, I'm interested. Mm. I wish I wish I had more time. We could, yeah. we could talk no, about that got, show we've too. Got to sum, sum up. So yeah, to, please, please stay tuned for for the trilogy as it comes out in pieces or spectacularly in its durational expression, and the workshops on the website. Brilliant. And, and the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. Wow, <laughs> my very first podcast. So. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for, for listening. Um, thanks, Dave, for making this possible. It's rare to get an opportunity. You know, the podcast kind of focuses your attention on things. Yeah. And a real privilege for me to be able to appreciate the different themes that have brought this kind of journey, you know, the sh- the, the, these shows that I've created over the years. Yeah, it's been so, great. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> you can... Follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. Get better acquainted.